Hey lady, it's Dr. Dom here. If you like this show and you want to make your own, let me tell you about the free platform Anchor. It's a creation tool that allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. You can add songs from Spotify and create any type of content that you are looking for. Anchor will distribute it all for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. On this week's episode of Cultivating Her Space, you have to feel and know that you are capable of bridging that gap, of doing the thing to get you to your ideal state. And if you don't believe that, it is very hard to actually bridge that gap and get there. Today's episode is sure to provide you with motivation, inspiration, or a fresh perspective. If you have any aha moments or appreciate anything from this episode, please leave us a review to let us know we're on the right track. Also, we release episodes every Friday, so be sure to subscribe on iTunes and visit cultivatingherspace.com to access our exclusive after show and other bonus content from the Patreon tab. Welcome to Cultivating Her Space, a podcast dedicated to uplifting women like you. We're your hosts, Dr. Dominique Broussard, a college professor and psychologist, and Terry Lomax, a techie and motivational speaker. In a world where Black women are often misrepresented and misunderstood, please join us as we initiate authentic conversations on everything from fibroids to fake friends and create a safe space where Black women can just be. Hey lady, it's Terry here from Cultivating Her Space. Are you tired of working hard for your money? Do you want your business to run smoothly when you're out of office? If you want to learn how to automate your business cash flow and increase your impact and influence, join me for my free workshop at brandwithterry.com. Again, that's brandwithterry.com. My name is spelled T-E-R-R-I. Hope to see you there, lady. All right, lady, today we have a very special guest in Cultivating Her Space. We are so excited. And I do want to say, Dom and I kind of got distracted when we looked up this guest on social media because she flies hell, okay? Her outfits are, do people still say on fleek? I don't know. Her outfits are fly, y'all. So just go check her social media out. This is going to be a bomb interview, so get ready, all right? Kimberly B. Cummings is a leading career and leadership development expert and an accomplished speaker and podcast host whose mission is to empower women and people of color in the workplace. Her personal and professional development company, Manifest Yourself, LLC provides in-person and virtual workshops, trainings, and coaching to professionals looking to lead a dynamic career and life. Kimberly has had the opportunity to speak and create workshops for many organizations, including the New Jersey Conference for Women, Elevate Network, Urban League, Princeton University, National Sales Network, and South by Southwest, among others. She's also on the board of directors for the Power of You Teens organization, Next Move, Best Move, Transitioning into a Career You'll Love is her first book. You can find more information about Kimberly online at KimberlyBCummings.com. Kimberly, welcome to Cultivating Her Space. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I feel like this is going to be a vibe today. I can just feel it. Oh, most definitely. Definitely. Yes. <laughs> we, we, we feel it too. We, we are looking forward to this. 
And so I will start us off with our quote of the day. Now, Kimberly, you know, you post some pretty prolific things on Twitter. So I know you'll recognize this. And I will say I had a hard time choosing because again, it's these career affirmations that you post. Lady, as you're listening, I need you to go to Kimberly Cummings' Twitter page and just soak on, just soak in those career affirmations. So here is our quote of the day. I am capable of bridging the gap between where I am and where I want to be. That's one of my faves. Yes, yes. I'm glad that it's one of your faves because it was one of my faves too. And I felt that it was so fitting for the conversation that we want to have today. So we're just going to jump right in. And Kimberly, tell us why that particular affirmation is one of your faves. So one of the biggest things in your career when you're looking to level up to the next level, and in all honesty, career and life in general, is that you have to believe that you are capable of actually making that move. If you don't believe that you're capable of bridging that gap, because with any goal that we have, it's like I explained, like we are here right now to the left, right? You are in this state. This is your current state of who you are, what you want. And when you have a goal, it's moving yourself to this other phase to the right. Like you are not that thing to the right. And there's this gap in between. You have to feel and know that you are capable of bridging that gap, of doing the thing to get you to your ideal state. And if you don't believe that, it is very hard to actually bridge that gap and get there. Beautifully stated. And I feel like I have some questions about that. But first, we want to know about your origin story. Like what even got you started into this world of career and personal professional development? And then we'll circle back around to ask questions about that gap that you just talked about. Gosh, I'm like, I haven't been asked that question. What is your origin story specifically ever? So when I saw that, I was like, okay, how do I answer this? I think that I'm someone who's always been obsessed with personal and professional development, period. I always want to figure out how to do the thing. This morning, I was listening to a podcast by Ed Milet, and it was called, oh gosh, what was it called? He had Tim Glover as a guest, and it was called like, Winning is Everything. That's what it was called, Winning is Everything. And I really related to that podcast because I'm someone where my friends have told me for years, like, it's all right relax. You're good right now. You're doing enough. And I'm like, nah, 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 nah. Like that's how I always am. I want to get to the next thing. Tim broke down that there's like three segments when you're thinking about winning. It's like someone who they're just happy they competed, right? They competed. They were there. That is the accomplishment. And none of these are wrong. So no shade to anyone, depending upon what category you're at. So when number one is like, you're competing, you are at the race. Number two is that you won one time and that was it. You won one time, you know, that is your story. Like you don't need anything else. It's like you wanted to run the marathon and you showed up and you did it. You won the marathon one time and you're like, all right, now I can relax. And then there's people who want to win at winning. They want it to be like all the time. I'm like, you are always continually the best. And honestly, that's where I am. I feel like I want to win at winning. And I think when it comes to the world of work and my career, I'm someone who constantly wants to evolve, who constantly wants to figure out the next thing and master whatever it is that I'm doing. I think when I think about my origin story, that's how I wanted to answer it today. I'm so happy I listened to that other podcast because that kind of helped me explain it. When it comes to the world of work, I want to master it. And 
that really led me to navigating my own career. I fumbled like most people in the early stages. But when I got to my first career development job, I spent, I spent almost 10 years doing career counseling jobs in some capacity before I moved into talent acquisition. And the first time I saw a student get a job as a direct result of working with me, I was hooked. I still talk to that student today on the gram. And I just loved it. I absolutely loved it. And that's how I knew like I wanted to build my career, helping others navigate the world of work as well. I, I love that story. And I, I think it's beautiful that you still stay in touch with that first student, right? And so when you think about like working with that student and the impact that you had with that first student, what was the hardest part? Because I've been there myself of like being in the space where you're having an impact and then you decide that there needs to be a shift, there needs to be a change. And so what was the hardest part of walking away from your career as a senior collegiate career development counselor? So when I left to move into talent acquisition and then subsequently this year to do my business full time, I had done the things, right? I feel one of the other affirmations in my book, I believe, is something about you can leave a job that no longer serves you. And I had done all the things. So when I started in that career around 2011, maybe 2011, I was a career development counselor, got promoted to a senior career development counselor, moved to assistant director, moved to associate director. My goal during that time period was to become director of career services. And throughout the, that year span, those nine, almost 10 years, I had worked with undergraduate students, graduate students, alumni, all different majors. I've worked with everyone, honestly, except for like doctors and lawyers, people who are age 18 who don't know what to do with their life, <laughs> let alone anything else, the people who are in their 60s and are ready to move into something else using all of their experiences, but really focusing on, on their passions. And I'd done all the things. And I felt like at that time I wanted to become a director of career services and I was interviewing and I always came up as top two and I was not number one. And I had a really, really, really bad job process where that happened. I was top, I was two again. And then the person who they selected actually rescinded their acceptance. They came back to me and said, do you still want it? I said, yes. And then like two weeks later, like, oh, you know, actually we're going to go in a different direction. We're just going to close the job down. And when I tell you, I was devastated. I did not know what to do. I don't really cry over jobs. I for damn sure cried that time. And I was like, clearly I need to do something else. I need to figure something else out. And the cards rolled as they did. I got connected to an opportunity. And from the moment I was connected to being hired, it was less than 14 days. And that's how I went into corporate America to do diversity, equity, and inclusion on the talent acquisition space. And it really connected even deeper to the business I'd been building. I founded my company in 2013, just resigned to do it full-time in 2021. So that experience in talent acquisition really pulled all of my experiences together, understanding the individuals through career services, understanding the corporate side in a large corporation. And my company basically does all of those things combined. So. I think it was a very hard shift, but for me, it happened naturally. I'm a big believer in what's for you will be for you, even though that sucks. Like I totally understand that sucks. When someone tells you that mess, it feels terrible and you don't want to believe it. But I think when you look back, hindsight can tell you like why you shouldn't have had that opportunity. Because the same way I told you I was crying and I hated it, but hindsight, things that happened in the office I would have worked in within less than a year, it would not have been a great move for me. 
Okay, so if you're watching us on Patreon right now, I had to pick my job off the ground. You probably saw that. That is an insane story. I can't imagine that happening. Can we just kind of zoom into that really quick? Can you talk about, one, how did you cope with that during those two weeks? Because I think that's every new professional's worst fear. It's like you get, first of all, you're not number one. And they and in some kind of way, you found out that you weren't number one. And they're like, oh, this person, you know, rescinded. Let's, let's come to you. Nobody likes that. But then you started the job two weeks after. They're like, oh, actually, we don't need this role. And then, okay, so one question is, how did you cope? And the second is, what did you learn from that happening? Because I know that there were some gems, I'm assuming, in that experience. So first, I'll just clarify. I didn't start the job because then I probably would have got a lawyer. <laughs> I'm very okay, honest. I was thinking that. Okay, <laughs> no, no, okay. No, I definitely would have got a lawyer. So I didn't start it. They had asked me, they said, hey, do you want to come back? And I said, yes, we're so interested. Okay, we're going to extend you an offer. And right then they said, like, you basically have the job. I, thank goodness I don't believe in resigning from your job until you sign on the dotted line. Then they came back after scheduling those meetings and they're like, yeah, so we're going to go in a different direction. Like right when they were supposed to give me the offer letter. So no, a hundred percent. If that happens to you, go get a lawyer because you can probably sign an NDA and get some money if that happens to you. But still devastated. I think it's one of those times where you like question your own identity. Like, am I good enough? Like, am I doing the right thing? And I, I share that story because I think because I work in career and leadership development, people think like, oh, well, Kim probably gets every job she applies to. Things have been perfect. And I was like, no, I have not gotten every job that I've applied to. I've pulled myself out of processes before when I thought it wasn't a good fit several times. So I just keep believing that, you know, my next move, it has to be my very best move. So A, I'm not going to move myself into anything that I don't feel is actually that next best move for me. And once, you know, I pick myself up off the floor, normally that's like a spa day. I'm very big on like actually a day. Like we're not just getting one massage, we're getting multiple things. So it has to be a day day, um, head to toe. Do one of those, you know, yes. watch be, Being Mary Jane or, you know, eight to 10 hours of Grey's Anatomy. Then, you know, yeah. I, I, exactly. Then we get back into it. So yes. there definitely is that period where it's not okay. I love that. I appreciate that you're acknowledging that like, it's not okay, right? And then giving yourself that space to feel. Because I think oftentimes, if we don't give ourselves that space to fully acknowledge, like when we live in that space of denial of how we're really feeling, then it ends up circling back, or it may end up impacting our upcoming process, right? A hundred percent. As you were talking, the thing that kept coming up for me is one of my favorite phrases of trust the process, right? That things don't always work out how we initially envisioned, but they always work out in our favor. I 100% agree. And I think the last thing I'll just say, just to come in quickly, I'd say in order to get over experiences like that, you have to believe that you also did your best. You can't look back and be like, mm, I really have stepped. Like, mm, I know I could have done better. You have to have that confidence that at that moment in time, you did everything that you could have possibly done with the information that you were equipped with. And that I tell everyone, any client who works with me, is if you've done that, then yes, sulk, we're going to feel bad, but you did everything that you could do. So you have to be okay moving forward. I think also to piggyback off of that camera, and let me know if you agree, I would say that 
we're not defined by what other people, you know, think about us, number one, but also our best is not necessarily going to be what someone else wants at that time. For whatever reason, you said it may not be aligned as far as the universe, right? Like you said, a year into the role, you, you heard about some things going down. And you're like, oh yeah, that wouldn't have been a good fit for me anyway. I have a question about the people who they don't know what they want to do. I feel like Dom and I, from a young age, we kind of knew like what field, well, Dom, she had everything mapped out. She's like, I know I want to be a psychologist. I'm going to have to change the world and help, you know, black women and people of color. I knew the vibe of what I wanted to do first, but, and it helped out in my journey. But for those who don't necessarily know what they love, let alone know what career they want to go into, like what activities do you have them do to find that? They're like, I don't know my passion. Help him. What, what do you tell them? So that's really the beginning of my book. And I think sometimes we make it seem like it has to be this catastrophic life decision. I've worked in marketing, in finance, in admissions, in career services, in talent acquisition, and run my own company. So if you're, you're watching me, I have six fingers up. And I also, oh, I think I worked in retail. I've worked in restaurant services. I've had a lot of like, I, I used to be like the head babysitter on the block, like in my old hometown. I babysat everybody. Kids would get off the bus and didn't know. It's like, I, no, no, no. I only have two of you. Y'all go back to your families. I was that babysitter getting kids from the bus stop. Like there's lots of things that you've done. So the first activity in my book I have people do is take an assessment of everything every job you've ever had. And I mean, the long resume that you would never send to anyone, every single job, because many times we have lots of skills, but we're thinking about what is that long-term vision. We're thinking almost like our baby boomer parents. For a lot of folks, if we have to select that job that we're going to be at for 20 years, when that's just unrealistic, what we really need to focus on is, okay, what is the 10-year vision? What do we think we want to do? Cut that in half. Like, where do we need to be in five years to get there? But then really cut that in half again. What do we want to do in two years? I like to think in two-year increments. So understanding what your skills are from your resume. And then what are your passions? What do you like to do? What excites you? And that's when you put those two things together to really determine what do you think your next move should be? And it doesn't have to be a forever move. It's, are you going to gain skills? Are you going to be happy? Because when you're happy and you're matched with your skill sets or your strengths, you can call it either way, that's when the magic really happens and you have a career that you'll love. Because my thing is, I don't want everybody to just have a job. You know, anybody can have a job. When I worked in restaurant services, it was a job because I needed money. But to have a career, there has to be some type of alignment, some type of deeper excitement, deeper why to help get you to the next level. I love that explanation. And it makes me think about the college students that I work with, right? And this generation is different. Right. Like you kind of spoke to that a little bit. Like they're definitely different from that baby boomer generation of you are in your career for 20 years. But to me, they also feel different in that they may have one particular major. And then their career might not be directly correlated. At least initially on the surface. With their, like, there might not be that direct correlation between their career and their major. And so, how do you counsel the college graduates or, or the college students on really identifying that, that career that's matching up well with their major that they're spending a lot of money on? 
So again, I don't think it has to be perfectly matched. I think it's really about skills. I think many times these students hear the word transferable skills and they think about it as like, okay, transferable to my major, but it's really the skills. Like what skills have you gained? What have you learned from your academic background? And even more so from those internships that you've had and the jobs that you've had, I'd say sometimes those are even more important than whatever you majored in. And how can you connect back to experiences? And again, only two years. Let's not even think career, because I think the reality is when you graduate from college, you're getting a job. You're getting your first job and you have to test it out. Do you like it? Do you not like it? Do you feel like you can continue to do this and you want to grow? Because we change careers, right? When you look at, I think there was some study and please don't like slaughter me if I get it wrong, but they were talking about people under 30 and how many different jobs they've had, right? You're graduating college by the time you're like 21 from undergrad. And let's maybe say 23 to 25, if you went to graduate school, many people have had like five to seven different jobs sometimes before they're like 30, 31. So we need to stop thinking about the career path right away. But what are the skills that you've gained that can get you into a job that you think you'll like? Because even if you did an internship, right, you're, you're doing an internship for three months, maybe full time, maybe not. Over the summer, companies who have a structured internship program have you working on a project. You're just doing the most you can in that like 12 to maybe 16 week period. You still don't know if you like it. You don't. So we have to take a little bit of that stress off and just think about what have you gained? Where do you think you can contribute? Let's try this and see if you are excited about building a career on that. But it's not uncommon, just like it's common to change majors, it's not uncommon to change once you get into the workforce and you see how things shake up. I love your transparency around this topic. I think it really, it just doesn't make it seem like a stressful thing that you have to commit to for life. It's like, what am I going to do for the rest of my life? Like we've, I think many of us have had different careers, different jobs, different experiences, and they all lead up to those transferable skills that we can use for that 10-year plan. My question for you is, when you think about joining a new company, let's say you're not starting a business, you're joining a new company or you're looking for a new role, what are some of the things that you think folks should look for when starting at a new company or starting in a new role? So whenever anyone moves into a new role, I ask that they treat it similar to how senior C-suite executives treat it. When C-suite execs move into a new role, they do what I call a listening tour, right? where they're meeting everyone at the entire organization, top to bottom. And they're literally, they're not saying anything really. Introducing themselves. People always love to ask them, well, what do you think that you're going to do? What do they do? They flip the question back to you to ask more about what's happening. How do you feel? What your experience has been? They're listening. And I think as less senior professionals, many times people go into organizations and they kind of jump into the work. Yes, you have to jump into the work. You have to, especially when you're less senior. But at the same time, you also need to prioritize listening. Make sure you schedule meetings with all of your peers, all of them. Make sure you schedule meetings with your manager. And I even like people to meet with their manager's peers, whoever's on that tier for other teams. And then ask if there's anyone else in the organization that you should meet with. I know in my last corporate job, I was very big on when people started on my team, I hired almost eight people, I think I'd have to break it down, but we, our team expanded very, very fast. And one of the things I did for their onboarding was I listed every single person who could potentially impact their work. And I was like, you need to meet with them over the first, the next 30 days, 30 to 60. I need you to, we're going to get you up and running, but I need you to meet these people as well. And I think that's so important in navigating an organization and really understanding 
your work, how it impacts the organization and building the relationships that you need essentially before you need them. And if you're looking to make any type of transition, so someone who's thinking about moving into a new role internally, I think these relationships end up helping you a lot because you need that insider information to truly understand what your role is going to be like in that piece of the organization or in that next role. I think sometimes we look at our next move as being such an isolated, singular experience for us. And it is because you're doing the work, but at the same time, Think about how your relationships can help you navigate and give you the information to help you succeed. The example I always give is two candidates going into a job interview, right? So candidate one doesn't know anybody and candidate two knows people. So they could both be equally prepared, equally amazing, right? Same experiences, but candidate one who doesn't know anything goes in, you know, kills the interview with the knowledge that they had, the job description, their research, et cetera. But candidate two had relationships. So they were able to talk to people at the organization, understand more about the role. And they found out that the hiring leader really wants to double down on these two things. So they kind of changed their process, not their process, but changed their answers to make sure they doubled down on those two things. Both candidates are great. But candidate two gets the job, not because they were necessarily better, but because they had more information. So instead of being like talking about the role as more of a generalist, like I can do these things, telling great stories, they just gave a little more sauce on the two areas the hiring leader was really excited about. So they do a little bit better. Like that's what relationships can do when you're in the workforce and trying to navigate and make your next move. Wow. <laughs> that, that's some serious some serious knowledge right there, some serious gems right there for folks. But okay, so but I, I want to go back to our, our college students, like our entry level folks, right? Is that possible for them to do that as well? What would that look like for them? Like they're just coming in, like literally like entry level. How do they navigate that relationship building? They do the same exact thing. And I think many times we try to, in career development, I see people try and pull themselves out, right? Like, well, I'm a college student. Well, I'm almost a manager, but I'm not a manager. Ooh, no, no, I'm a director. And then, ooh, no, I'm a VP. People try and pull out the information to make it different, but it really isn't. And sometimes I say that college students, they have a teach more of an advantage because they have an alumni network. I've worked in Ivy League universities and non-Ivy League universities. And one of the things that Ivy League institutions tout the most are their alumni networks. They always do. And when you look at organizations, especially some of the top companies, Fortune 100 companies, they know who's at that institution who came from which school. And those alumni proactively give more money back most of the time every single year, engage with those students. And they are so excited to hear from students who are interested in various career paths. So as a student, junior or senior, who knows that they're either looking for a job, their last summer internship, I think it's imperative that they start to leverage the alumni networks at their current institution. Because not to sound mean, but like the alums know, like you're in school, you're not going to do anything for me. Okay, we're not, we're not looking for you to do anything for me. We don't need this to be mutually beneficial. That's not going to happen. It's my job is to help you. That's what, that's what the alum is there for versus when you get into the world of work, people may be looking for some reciprocity. There's no reciprocity when you're a student and you're a senior alum, period. The only reciprocity there is is when the student gets into a world of work, if they had a referral, you kill it and you don't mess up and you do the best job possible. That is the only thing that you're really responsible for. So leverage those relationships, get in touch with your alumni association, 
reach out and see how you can get in touch with alums, reach out to them on LinkedIn and get that information, especially if you're at a larger university. There are alums probably all over the world that you can find by using the LinkedIn alumni tool or connecting with your alumni office. I think sometimes it really could be just a little bit easier for some of these students. That's a really, really good point. Oh my goodness. And I've noticed that too, like being in Silicon Valley, working in tech, you'll see folks refer their friends and people they went to school with to certain jobs and they get these amazing positions and you're like, oh, they had the inside connect. That's why they were able to do that. So our next question before we shift up the energy of this interview is what are the current trends that you're noticing as it relates to career options for Black women? I think that people of color are very hot right now, especially the Black community extremely hot. That is the thing that every company has their pulse on right now, especially I think it's people of color, but then doubling down on the black communities. I do diversity, equity, and inclusion consulting for some organizations. And through my company, Manifest Yourself, and many times when you start to pull out the stats of different communities, black professionals are generally at the bottom of the totem pole when it comes to representation, when it comes to internal mobility, et cetera. Like many times they're engaged, but they're just not promoted internally. So companies can sometimes recruit them, but the numbers are always, always lesser than our Latinx partners or any other people of color in the organization. So I think that right now is such a great time to be applying and networking and building relationships and allies who are people of color and not people of color, because people are very aware of it. And of course, if we double down on women, even more so, because essentially double minorities, right? <laughs> They're women and they're Black women. So I think it's a really pivotal time to be out there and building key relationships and finding those allies. Of course, continuously doing great work, but building the relationships you need to help you rise to the next level. And then I think in general trends in work, I would just say everyone's talking about hybrid, right? Hybrid workforce, working remotely, all of those things. A lot of companies are saying they want people to come back. You know, work happens at work. Some CEOs are saying stuff like that, but I think those companies are going to end up losing out. So I think it's the time to really be able to stand up for yourself and advocate for yourself for what it is that's really going to make you happy in the world of work. I saw an article today. It was, what did it say? It was like, people are talking less about a hot girl summer and more about a hot job summer because all these companies want us to come back in September. And people are like, yeah, no. So I will still be remote. So people right. are using the summer to get another job. So it's a really amazing time in the world of work. And I think we're going to see a lot of changes come the fall. Amazing. That is so helpful. Lady, you better go get Kimberly's book, okay? Next move, best move, all right? So, Kimberly, we're about to shift up the energy of this interview. And because we recognize, appreciate, and celebrate the multifaceted woman, and we believe that it's okay to be classy and ratchet, you can still be elegant and dance to strip club music. We want to invite you to, I see you nodding your head like, yeah, girl. We want to invite you to the OU Clatchet segment. So do you take on the challenge? Of course, I'm ready. Yay! Yay. I love it. <laughs> All right. So, you know, we're going to ease you in to the Clatchet. What is one question or topic that you wished people asked you about more often? So, you know, outside of the world of work, if I wasn't talking about career development, a lot of my friends say that I should be talking about relationships because how I navigated dating 
was very interesting. And a lot of people, it's not something I ever really talk about, but a lot of my friends come to me for dating and relationship advice. Okay, okay. well... Yeah, we need to know how you navigate right. right. <laughs> 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 Yeah. Oh, if you so, comfortable, of course. No, 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 no. <laughs> okay. I think the question people most ask me is so I met my husband on Tinder. People ask how oh. I met my husband on Tinder all the time. And I think my secret to dating on Tinder was that I met a lot of people really, really fast. I don't believe in talking in these apps in any way, shape, or form. I believe in you meet the person, and I had no problem asking for coffee, tea, a drink. I never do dinner. I don't want to do dinner at all, at all, ever, until I get to know you. And I would go and I'd meet someone at a bar, at coffee. I'd get there before them, pay for my own drink. I don't, I don't want any of that. I want to be able to leave if I can leave. <laughs> and I would meet people like that really, really fast. Like maybe a little conversation on the app. Like, hey, you want to grab a drink? We go grab a drink and I get to meet you in person and really see, is there any chemistry, any connection? If there was, I would generally leave time after like, oh, okay, now we can grab like a bite to eat, but it was always just a drink. And I met a lot of people and I had such a good time. I also went a lot of places by myself. I would take myself out to dinner by myself. I went to events by myself. I only went out with friends who were excited about meeting people and talking to people, not the friends who don't want you to leave them. And I had just great conversation. I'm not sure where y'all based, but I was, I was based in New York City when I was really dating. I even used to take myself to grab a drink at TGI Fridays in Penn Station because everybody is there. And my thing was, if I went out, I would never take my phone out. I did not allow myself to take the phone out. So even if I just chatted with the bartender, but I'd always have great conversation. And I think it was really interesting to meet a lot of people at the same time and just not really be attached, just trying to make connections and see who who fit best for me. That's I so love fun. it. Yes. Yeah. That's I amazing. That okay. Thank you for sharing. It sounds like a vibe. I could picture it as you were talking. I'm like, oh yes, yes. girl, live your best life. Okay. Let's dive into the next question here. What's the most embarrassing thing you've ever done to get a crush's attention? I think maybe I'm a little forward. So I think when I was really trying to date, I would just say something. I literally, but I don't know if I did anything like crazy or anything embarrassing, but I would just say something. I remember I was at in New York City at one of the must love beers parties done by I don't do clubs. So it was for men with beards and the women who love them. They were always really great, great parties. And the ratio was actually 50-50, which, you know, generally doesn't happen when it comes to never gender balanced. And if I saw someone looking like I'd make eye contact, make eye contact, and then I'd be like, so I can see you're looking and want to say hello. And I'll just say, I'm Kimberly and just let the conversation go. I don't think I've done anything crazy. I I don't think I have. I know. I know what I want. Okay. Okay. I just hated the waiting back in the, like when I was really dating, like before that, like the first time I was really out in the streets, I feel like I was so, I wasn't comfortable being myself, Mm. I guess. So now back then in like 2014, like when I was like out in the streets, I guess again, I was like, okay, like this is, I'm just going to be myself and be friendly and have conversation. Like I'm not caring about anything else. It made me very, I guess, detached from the outcome. I was just able to meet great people. But yeah, I'm like, I wasn't, I, I don't think I've really done anything crazy or embarrassing. Yeah. I don't think so. That's I'm a good example though. <laughs> I know. I, I love that. Right. I, I, you. I love that. So what's the sexiest item that you own? Like an item of clothing? It doesn't have to be. We're open. 
I'm gonna have to say number two because I'm not saying that on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, you know, we, we we state that we are not for the old people and children. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm not saying that. Still not. Uh-uh. No. This could be out on the internet. Maybe I want to run for office one day. That's I'll give y'all number two, and then we can talk about number one when the cameras go off. Number two, my godmother is a really big believer in having good lingerie. Yes. She is a big believer in it. Like, I remember before my wedding night, and she's like, you better make sure you're not out here wearing no daggone t-shirt. She's like, you need to go and get yourself something and send me a picture. So I have good lingerie. Yes. I will say that. I love that. Yes. I love it. Now, are you going to twerk or two-step? That's the real question. I'm going to two-step in public and twerk with my friends. Boom. Got it. There we go. Got it. There we go. One final question. What do you love most about yourself? I love my ability to not stop. I think I'm very resilient. I think I'm definitely hard on myself, very hard on myself. But overall, I'm very resilient. I love that. Beautiful. Kimberly, this was such a vibe. Thank you so much for sharing your expertise with our audience. There were so many gems dropped in this episode. We thank you for the work that you do, what you do for our community, how you show up, because it really does inspire other people to let their light shine. And lady, you definitely need to go get Kimberly's book, okay? So make sure you head on over to wherever you purchase your book. All right, I'm going to go ahead and just make sure I don't butcher the title here. It's Next Move, Best Move, Transitioning into a Career You'll Love. And lady, as you probably know, we have more than 100 episodes, so make sure you check the archives. We've talked about everything from mommy issues, daddy issues, infertility, miscarriage, narcissist, and more on the podcast. So you can literally Google a keyword, any keyword you want to search for, along with our podcast name, and you can find what you're looking for. We also have season seven, episode 12, Finding Career Success with Dr. Kimberly James. We have season seven, episode eight, Why Black Women Need Executive Coaching with Farrah Bernier. And then, of course, we have today's episode. You can listen to all three, get your career life in order, and we will see you on the after show. Thank you so much, Kimberly. Thank you. Hey, lady. It's Dr. Dom here from the Cultivating Her Space podcast. Are you currently a resident of the state of California and contemplating starting your therapy journey? Well, if so, please reach out to me at drdominiquebroussard.com. That's D-R-D-O-M-I-N-I-Q-U-E-B-R-O-U-S-S-A-R-D.com to schedule a free 15-minute consultation. I look forward to hearing from you. Thanks for joining us today. Please note that our show may contain conversations about self-help, advice, self-empowerment, and mental health, but is by no means meant to be a substitute for an ongoing formal relationship with a trained mental health provider. If you or someone you know is in need of mental health care, please visit the Therapy for Black Girls directory, Psychology Today, or contact your insurance provider. If you liked what you heard and want to keep the conversation going, visit our website, cultivatingherspace.com, and be sure to click the Patreon tab to get access to video content, bonuses, and our weekly after show. And before we meet again, repeat after me, greatness is my birthright. 
so I no longer ask for permission.